You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We have been in the middle of a series called Strengthen Our Hands for the Work of Rebuilding. And I'm realizing now, I had breakfast with Elder George, and as we were talking about it, we realized that this series from this year is mostly a prophecy for what is to come. Because here's the reality. Our walls are still being damaged. COVID is still a reality. It's not something that's on the decline. It's not something that's almost gone. It's, it's still causing the church to be this full because many people still have to watch from home. And so we're still in this reality of praying that sacramentally God would unify those who are forced to watch from home with those who are in the room. But we still know this, this, our walls are still being beaten by stuff. There are still things happening that are still chipping away at us. And so it is so important. And I think Salem, I mean, I, I would tell you if I didn't think it, this church has the legs, it has the, the unction, it has the stamina, I, I really, it has the endurance to put the world on its back and take it through this pandemic, to take it through everything that's happening. We have gone through storm after storm after storm since January of 2020, and we are still serving the world. I know sometimes it looks like what is going on here. Here's the reality. I'm not discouraged by what I see in this room. I'm not discouraged by any empty seat. I'm encouraged by everyone who's watching us from home, and I'm encouraged that what God has called the church to do is endure. He's called us to endure. One day... Yes, one day it'll be given to us to celebrate. When we're with the Lord and the Lord has restored the heavens and the earth, what we will be called to do in that time is celebrate, and we will absolutely celebrate in the presence of the Lamb. Not in a temple, because we'll be in Christ. But until then, until then, we endure. Endurance, life inside the edges of Jesus. When people weep, he weeps, we weep with him. That's what we do. And this story is not part of the lectionary. What Karina's going to read in a moment, doesn't she look lovely today, by the way, everybody? Just She's going to read the lectionary. This is something that I feel like God put on my heart a few weeks ago, and I didn't think I would be preaching today because I thought I would be almost done healing by today. But the Lord and his plans, which we love... Say in high voice when you're not 100% sure if you agree with what you're saying. I love his timing. Like you, This story really dropped into my spirit. I'm, I'm glad to be able to preach it today. I want you to close your eyes and get involved in this story. David has said to all of his mighty men, we got to go to war. We, we got to go take care of some enemies. And everybody goes. Everybody follows. Say everybody. And then sometimes, have you ever done exactly what God told you to do? And when you get back from doing it, things are worse when you got back? Listen to this story. 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites said, Make a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. We did what the king told us to do and we won and when we got back, every one of our wives and children, sons, daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Everybody say strength. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David, listen to this, this is key. And David was greatly distressed for the people, his followers, spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter. Everybody say bitter. Were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, 
Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind. They didn't go fight because they were too exhausted to cross the river. Skipping ahead a little bit. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all, everybody say all, that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons and daughters, spoil or anything. They had been taken, that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow and who had been left at the brook. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all, everybody say all, all. then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we had recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would even listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. The word of the Lord. Would you please listen to the gospel as it's read? A reading from the Gospel of John 6, 60-69. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Karina. So very interesting texts that we have and very appropriate for this series that we're in right now on friendship. This is the grind of friendship. Uh, I talked to somebody on the phone the other day who, man, me and him, I mean, back, if you go back to 2007 through 11, we were close, we hung out all the time. One of the main people I called and talked to about everything. And then life happens, you know, we both have families, we both have kids, we both are in the ministry and we don't talk for a long, long time. And then uh, uh, yesterday, actually, we, we pick up, we have this conversation. It went right back to those deep and wonderful conversations that we used to have. And he said something interesting to me. He said, good friends are not necessarily friends who talk all the time, but good friends are friends where you can always say we're still friends. Such a great line, such a powerful line. Good friends are good because of the word still. We're still friends. You can go through gaps of time 
where maybe life pulls you apart. But when you come back together again and you can still talk and pick up right where you left off, that's a good friendship. One that is not high maintenance. It exists simply because it's a friendship. And it stays that way. And so we're in this series, but in the midst of friendship is this grind. Have you ever led people? Have you ever served your family or your friends or your coworkers or whatever it is only to find out that they're upset with you and angry at you because things went wrong that weren't your fault? Has anybody had an annoying person in their life before? Let me just, I mean, either you guys don't go out or you're just really good hearted and don't think anybody's annoying. Listen, have I been in your life for a while? Then every one of you has had an annoying person in their life for a while. How do we? (laughs) We're still going to be friends because love endures. Okay. John is one of my good friends. John was one of my really good friends. (laughs) There's a point in every friendship where the life tears at the fabric of what holds it together. And we say things like, they're just being unreasonable. They're just being unnecessary. But in reality, no one knows, even the closest person to us, we don't know the things that we don't know. And here's the reality. Everybody who's going through something, when I'm going through something myself, I don't even know all of the ins and outs of what I'm going through and how I feel about it. So if I don't know the ins and outs of what I'm going through, my closest friends, the people who are closest to me in my life, starting with Jacqueline, cannot possibly know exactly how to be around me because I don't even know exactly how to be around me. Sometimes I don't even know how to be my own self. And so we handle conflict in ways that are unreasonably impatient because we act like the little bit of information we do know is all the information that there is to know. And that makes for the expiration date of friendships. We have to submit when there's conflict to the fact that we just don't know all the ins and outs of what somebody's going through. And when we can finally submit to the lack of information, it's we spend most of our time submitting to the presence of the information that we have. But when we can learn to submit to the lack of information, that is the beginning of being good friends. Say, you know what, I don't know everything you're going through, so I'm going to hold you until resolve comes. And if resolve doesn't come, Psalm 117, the goodness of the Lord endureth for how long? Forever. I say to God all the time, I'm like, you keep saying you'll hold me until I'm resolved. You do realize I'm never going to be resolved. And he says, you do realize I will never stop holding you. Today, I want to talk about this one sentence. Strength as capacity not force. Strength as capacity, not force. Does anybody have multiple devices on in their home at one time? Be honest. Phone, TV, streaming, laptop, all kinds of stuff. Are you all tired? We're going to talk about people who are exhausted in one second. Raise your hands. How many just stretch the bandwidth of your internet all of the time? And then there are moments where you have so much going on that all of a sudden the signal gets weaker because it doesn't have the capacity to do everything that's being drawn from it. It doesn't have the power that it needs for everything that's, be, that's drawing power from it to be able to be fully operational. What we need to understand is that in the fallen world... Not in the gospel, but in our fallen world, we see strength as the ability to force, to move, to push, to be strong. But in the kingdom, strength is not ever defined by force, coercion, manipulation. And it doesn't just have to be brute force like muscles. It can also be the force of a comment that you can give to somebody that causes them to stand down. And you think you won, but really you just intimidated them or shamed them, or they just roll their eyes walking away because you're too exhausting to argue with. And they'll let you think you won, but it's just because you're a tiring person. That's never been me before. 
We use all kinds of our strength, strength of rhetorical skills, strength of our information, strength that I know something you don't know, and I'll hold on to it until the right time and then lay that royal flush down on the table and you'll have nothing to say. Strength where you know somebody's faults. You know exactly where the cracks in their life are. You know exactly where they've gone wrong. You know exactly how to make them feel ashamed. You know, And you hold on to it and you don't guard it. You use it when the time is right to get them to stand down. So strength as force is not just the ability to bench press. It's also the ability to bench press emotions with your words, with information. We do this all of the time. No one in this room, starting from me, I am the chief of this sin. This message has wrecked me for the last three weeks. I've seen it in myself all the way up until today. We use anything we can to force. We don't want our kids to go places or do things. And so we find ways to make it seem like we're serving, but really we just say this here and put this there and and say yes to this and a little provision here and no provision there because we're scheming and plotting, trying to force. Strength in the kingdom is never forceful. It's capable. It has capacity. And that's what we see In David, we see strength as capacity, not force. What do I mean? Point one. Strength holds anger and bitterness without forcing it to go away. Strength holds anger and bitterness without forcing it to go away. I have heard people say, that person is bitter. They need to decide to not be bitter. And people have been rebuked for being bitter. That's not what David does. David has men who followed him. Those men got home from following him, and their wives and children have been kidnapped, which is every parent's worst nightmare. Gone. And I'm assuming the people who kidnapped them weren't jolly, Christmas-loving people. They were bands of ruthless men. And you have to sit there and say, I don't know where my little Sophia is right now. She's been taken. David, this is your fault, man. This is your fault, bro. You made us go. You made all of us go. We obey you, and now we come back, and our whole life, everything we work for is now gone. And it says that they grew angry and bitter at him, and they wanted to stone him. And so now David is on the receiving end of his mighty men wanting to stone him. Why? Because they're angry and they're bitter. And what does David do? David goes and strengthens himself in the Lord. We're not supposed to look at this like David did the right thing and they did the wrong thing. David knew, I have to lead these men. I have to lead in this friendship. I have to lead in this marriage. I have to lead as a parent. I have to lead as a king. And he goes and he strengthens himself. And when he comes back to his men, he never tells them they're wrong for being bitter. And he never tells them they're wrong for being angry. He gives them a mission. He holds their anger and their bitterness. He holds their accusation. Why? Because strength is capacity. David has the capacity to know that everyone is angry and bitter at him. And instead of lashing back, which really ultimately would be weakness, whenever we need to snap back, get the last word, say a better thing, yell louder, be smarter, that is a sign of weakness, not strength. The world will tell you, man, you're good at arguing. Oh, man, you got that person. Oh, man, that that post that they posted and the comment you said, you shut them down. They're going to see that as strength. It's not. It's weakness. Strength is David saying, "Mm, you all want to kill me? I did what God told me to do. We went where he told us to go. An enemy has done this, not me. 
He doesn't say anything like that. He goes to the priest. He strengthens himself in the Lord. And he comes back, and he's got bandwidth. He's got capacity. All, those, all his men are like little streaming devices, sucking energy from him. And David has the capacity to stand there and be strong for them in a way where he doesn't condemn or accuse. He gives them mission. He says, you know what? Bottle up that bitterness. Bottle up that anger. We're going to go and do something about this together. He doesn't rip them apart. And I want everybody to know, they're... Bitterness happens to people when they have suffered trauma and abuse especially. Whenever a people or, dare I say, and I will say a group of people have suffered trauma and abuse, yes, there's anger and yes, there's bitterness. And the reality is the bitterness and the anger can only be healed by other people stepping in and saying, we're here for you. You cannot choose away your bitterness. Oh, hear what I'm saying. I want to hear you amen this from home. Hear what I'm saying. We say to people, we, I have said rotten things to someone, they've gotten angry, and then I've accused them for being wrong that they're angry. <laughs> Not happy emoji face, like the, the one that looks like it's puking, that one. <laughs> Spiritual leaders, we've all dealt with this. I have friends across the country who've dealt with this, who've, their theology has hurt legalized and hurt people and then when people get hurt after they were loyal and then the loyalty was used to beat them over the head with it all of a sudden then those same leaders say you shouldn't be bitter and you shouldn't be angry you're the one who did this so wait you get to beat me up and then you get mad at me for having wounds how M moms and dads some of, I, some of you have sat in my office and said, my kids are angry because of the way we raised them, and now they're bitter. Now they're angry. They need to repent for that. Stop. Stop. First, everyone needs to understand that bitterness cannot be chosen away. It has to be healed. Listen. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It'd be nice if it ended there, but it says this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So how is bitterness removed? When we are kind and tender-hearted to those who are angry and bitter. Another one, in case you didn't like that one. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So he's saying there shouldn't be bitterness, but how do we get there? Strive for peace with everyone. Bitterness doesn't go away in a community that's not being kind, tender-hearted, or striving for peace. So you can't demand that somebody not be bitter. The, if you have recognized, if I have recognized, if you at home have recognized that somebody in your life or a group of people in your life are angry or bitter, if you've had the revelation to know it, then you are also the medicine they need to heal it. If you sense bitterness, God allowed you to sense it so that you can heal it, not call it out. Heal it, not demand and put the onus on them. So the next question would be, well, aren't we supposed to take personal responsibility? Yes, I want you to write this down. Personal responsibility starts by acknowledging that nothing can be healed personally. Personal responsibility begins by acknowledging that we cannot be healed personally. In Acts chapter 8, the apostles meet Simon the magician, and he's being all kinds of nasty. And 
Peter or Paul look at him and say, you are in the gall of bitterness. And his response is, pray for me that these things may not happen to me. So whether it's Ephesians or Hebrews or Acts, in Acts, the man who's bitter finally says, pray for me. That's taking personal responsibility, saying, you're right, I am bitter, but I need you to help it go away. I need, you, I need somebody to be kind and tenderhearted to me. I need somebody who can hold, somebody who's strong enough to hold, has the capacity to hold my anger and my bitterness until it's healed, not demand that it go away in one day. We want to be good friends. We want to be good leaders. We want to be good parents. We want to be good pastors and shep- shepherds and ministry leaders and coworkers and employers and employees. We have to have the strength to realize we don't know why people are bitter. And if it's abuse and disappointment and anger and trauma that has caused it, we can't demand. We have to be like David and carry it with them and send them on mission. We're going to go and find out where this started, and God's going to take care of it, but I'm going to go with you. I'm judging by the uproarious applause that everybody agrees. Strength holds exhaustion. Oh my gosh, I love, I love this part of the story. 200 of the 600 men stayed home because they were tired. I have sat and heard teaching. I even Googled some this week on this verse, and I have heard pastors say, some of us work hard and some of us are just lazy. Some go to war and some stay home. You want to see me flip tables and I won't do it as graciously as Jesus did? I'll flip all the tables and accidentally hit everybody with whips. Like, this teaching on this text, as we found out today by accident, is not the way it's meant to be taught. Why are they tired and exhausted? They just got back from war and their wives and children have been kidnapped. Go find somebody whose child has been kidnapped and tell them they need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and and not be lazy. Who would say that to somebody? They're not just being lazy. They're traumatized. They're hurt. This is tragic. The 400 who can go, it is a special gift of God that they even had the ability to stand up at all. David is the only one who doesn't criticize them for not going. What does David say when he gets back? The men who went with David said, don't give them extra spoil. Just give them their wives and their children back. They didn't go with us. And we've heard the sermons. You don't get the blessing if you don't put in the work. (laughs) Somebody knows. No, yes. That's not how it's supposed to be taught. The worthless men who went, that's what it says in the text. It says worthless men went with David. We want to praise the people who followed. The Bible calls them worthless. Why are they worthless? Because they followed? No. Because they obeyed? No. Because when they got back, they didn't care for the ones who were too weak to go. What does David say? It's very interesting what David says. He says... The ones who went will share, and the ones who remained home to look after the baggage will also share. Now, when you look at the text at the beginning, it says they didn't go because they were exhausted. But David says, he revisions for them, no, 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 they didn't just stay home because they were exhausted. They stayed home to watch the baggage. And they're all like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We stayed home to watch the baggage. That's exactly what we did. He told them and revealed to them that they were more capable than they thought they were. They're getting shamed by 400 people. And one person has the strength, the capacity to say, you know what? You 400 jokers think that you're better than them. Remember what happened last time when nobody stayed home to watch the baggage? Remember we got home and all of our little kids were taken? Guess what? I didn't want to make that mistake again. So when they said they were too exhausted, they didn't realize that they were actually following the Spirit because God forbid we leave again and more stuff gets taken. See? Strength 
friendship, capacity, has the ability to look at someone who's exhausted, who's not going to fight, who's not going to help, and feels embarrassed by it. Strength, friendship has the ability to say, you don't even realize that, thank God you were too exhausted to go. Because what you were really doing was you were home looking after our home because we didn't have the wisdom to do that the last time. We didn't have the wisdom to do that the last time. Strength reimagines what no one else can see. And it says in the text that the men who went with David were worthless. But does David ever call them worthless in the text? No. All he does is teach them. He teaches the 400 why they shouldn't be criticizing the 200, but he never calls them worthless. So look at this. They all, all 600 of them get bitter at David. He never uh, questions or criticizes their bitterness. Then 400 go and 200 stay home. David never criticizes the 200. Then 400 people criticize the 200. David stands up for the 200, but he never criticizes the 400 for criticizing the 200. Why? Because David is strong enough to not have to slap everybody every time there's something slappable. Most of us, including your pastor, just has to say something every time we see some little indiscrepancy in somebody else's life. And then we say, I'm just revealing it to them so they can heal. No, you're not. You're feeling good. You're indulging in the 19th slice of pizza every time you make a comment because you just want people to know where they're wrong so they know that you knew. We can't shut up. And now we talk with our thumbs. We used to say, oh, man, you need a muzzle. Now we need mittens. Like, we can't. <sighs> I'm going to stay on this point for one more minute. In Judges, one of all of our favorite, especially if you're Pentecostal, one of your favorite stories is Gideon. And at one point, at one point, Gideon and his men go out to fight. And it says this, it says, and Gideon and his men went out to fight, and his men were exhausted, yet pursuing. Very famous phrase, and if you've ever been in men's meetings, this is a very, very famous phrase for the men. Exhausted, yet pursuing. But here's what happens when you keep reading in that story. These men who are exhausted yet pursuing, they go to a town and they say, hey, we're hungry, can we have some bread? And the town's like, well... You guys are kind of violent, so we're not going to give you any bread. And they're like, fine, when we get back from war, we're going to kill everybody in this town. And then these exhausted yet pursuing men go to another town, and they say, hey, we're really thirsty. Can we have some water? And they're like, well, you guys are kind of violent, so we're not going to give you any water. And they're like, okay, when we go win our fight, we're going to come back here and kill everybody. And they did. They win their fight, and they go back, and they kill everybody. Because people who are exhausted and don't know how to rest get violent. We've read that text like it's good to be exhausted yet pursuing, but the story tells you no. When you're hangry, you say nasty things. See, we all say yup to that. When church is over today because I'm going to preach for three more hours and everybody's tired and hungry and their blood sugar's dropping, you're going to say nasty things to each other in the car, especially the men when you say to your wife, where do you want to go? And she says, it doesn't matter, you pick, and you know that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because as soon as you pick, it's like, ah, I guess we can go there. Listen, if you're going to tell me with size and high talking and body language, pick! You pick! And then she's going to be like, did pastor preach about having strength and capacity today? And you're going to be like, I preached about it! Wait. Okay. When you're exhausted and you keep pursuing when you think your job in life, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you go to work, when you think your job in life is just to keep motoring, keep working, and when you get tired, you don't take any time for yourself, you don't take any self-care, you don't sit down and say, somebody needs to pray for me, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm tired physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. When you keep pursuing, even when you're exhausted, you end up murdering people after victory. They won a victory because one town was hurting another town. They win the victory and go home and hurt other towns. Because they are exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you're supposed to rest. 
There's no nobility in wearing yourself out and becoming burnt out. That's not virtuous. It's unwise. So friendships should be places that remind each other, hey, you're exhausted. You need, you need to chill. Let me, pick some, let, me, let me pick up some of your life for you so you can rest. You're bitter. Let me, let me hold your bitterness with you for a while. Maybe don't say anything to people right now. Maybe don't continue the argument you're having with this person. Just let's, let's sit with this anger you're feeling for three days. See what the Lord says before we continue the argument. Listen, there is no argument that needs to be resolved today if it means the breakdown of the relationship tomorrow. There is no argument that needs to be resolved today if it means the failure of the relationship tomorrow. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say don't let the sun go down on your issues. You can go to bed with issues and lay your anger aside if there's strength in the relationship. Strength says, Jacqueline, I'm really angry with you. Oh, yeah, well, I'm obviously angry with you, which for some reason, when she repeats that back to me, it makes me more angry. I don't know why. Like, how I'm the only one who gets to say their emotions in this house. And, and then it's like, okay, we're really, really angry, but we do want to watch, the, you know, the next episode on the show. We're, I'm not going to say what it is, but the next show that we're binge-watching. And can we do this while angry? If there's strength, we can. If we each are willing to say, oh, yeah, no, I'm not getting rid of this. I have something for you, but we're going to put it on the shelf for a little while. We're going to do this. We'll get back to it. Every time you get back to it, you're better at handling it than you were before you put it on the shelf. You don't have to be exhausted and keep pursuing. Some of you might be saying, well, I don't have a life where I have time to just rest. Well, you got people in your life who can be rest for you. They can be there for you to vent. They're a safe place. They can be there for you to say all the things you want to say on Facebook. Say it to them. They, the person that you want to say all the things you want to say to the other person, you're, you're, you're in an argument with this person. Well, I'm glad I have this person. Thank, can, I just, can I say this to you so I don't say it to them? And they're a safe place for that. That's, what we, that's helpful. That's restful. That's restful. David doesn't criticize anybody. He is for them what they can't be for themselves. So the question becomes, where do we get that kind of strength? Where did David get it in the story? He got it from the priest. And that's our first clue when we read the Bible. We get it from Jesus. Let's look quickly at what Karina read. Jesus says these easy-to-receive words that everybody wants to hear. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot go to heaven. And everyone's like, we're going to go. Dude's crazy. Not great. And hundreds of disciples walk away from Jesus, except for 12. Jesus watches a sea of people leave. And he ends up with 12. He had Joel Osteen's church. And he ended up with a church smaller than the quarter one we have in this room right now. And he says, are you going to leave too? Again, he's not forcing anybody. He has the capacity to watch everybody leave. By all standards back then and now, people would say, see, we told you he was a failure. We, we told you you shouldn't leave with him. Look, he had, he had thousands of people following him. Now he's got 12. We told you. Because by carnal broken standards, more is might. Jesus would say otherwise. He looks at the 12 and he says, are you going to leave? And they say, when, to whom shall we go? We're not leaving. We're staying with you. You hate my shirt. Okay. Well, that, don't know where to go from there. Do I have the strength and capacity to handle and hold that negative statement from an angry, bitter little soul? <laughs> oh, that brings me to another point. At no point in your argument, say to the person you're arguing with that you have the strength to hold their bitterness. Don't say it. I have the strength to forgive you right now. Don't say those things because that's basically saying the other thing from a positive context, which is even worse sometimes. Jesus says to the twelve. 
I'm going to strengthen you. Who is he strengthening the 12 for? He's strengthening the 12 to be strong for everyone who left so they could spend the next 2,000 years going back and rescuing the ones who didn't stay with Jesus. He didn't strengthen the 12 over against the people who left. He let everybody leave who was going to leave, like I'm letting Sophia leave now. He let all of the unbelievers leave. The ones who doubted, leave. The ones who criticized shirts, leave. He let all those people leave, and he kept the 12, and he said, now we're going to strengthen you, and your mission in life is going to be to go be strong for them. Not draw a line in the sand and say, look how blessed we are and look how cursed you are. You should have come with us to go out and be strong for the ones who are weak. So all these people leave. And it's not a story of elitism. It's not a story of inclusivity. It's a story of Jesus saying, if one of you stayed, just one, I would strengthen you enough to go back and get everybody who just left. He strengthens the weak, so that the weak can become strong for the other weak. David does one thing in this text that is not Christ-like. David goes and gets the family back by murdering and killing other people. And just so you know that this is not right... First Chronicles 22 says, Then he, David, called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, God said to me, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars, you shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. David can't build a house because David killed too many people and he has blood all over his hands. The blood of the Philistines, the blood of the Amalekites, the blood of the Canaanites, the blood of the Israelites on his hands, dripping off of his hands, stained into his clothing, stained into his sword, are the blood, is the blood of people Christ wants to heal. And God says to David, you cannot build me a house because strength doesn't exist in force. It exists in capacity. But a son of David will come who can build God a house, who also has blood on his hands. Jesus can build a house and say, I can build the house because I have too much blood on my hands. The difference is that the blood David had on his hands was the blood of everybody else. But the blood Jesus has on his hands is his own, his own blood. Jesus' blood shed because he was maxing out the strength to hold everybody else in, and his body pops and explodes. He bursts. He bleeds his own blood because he's refusing to shed anybody else's. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He holds all all of the bitterness. He holds all of the rejection. He holds all of the betrayal. And as his body begins to give way, he holds it more. His body begins to sweat blood in Gethsemane because he's holding more than any human should ever and was ever, ever able to contain. All of the devices on at the same time, all of the internet strength bursting out of him, and he holds it to his capillaries exploding. His back ripped open. His blood on his hands. And he's the son of David who actually becomes God's house and builds God's house which is you and me. 
He proves this with Peter, who thought he was acting like David, takes out his sword. I'm going to, they're not going to arrest you, Jesus. And Jesus says, put it back. That's not strength in the kingdom. That's weakness. That's weakness, Peter. Go deny me. And then you're going to return and you're going to strengthen your brothers with a new kind of strength. Not a sword-wielding strength, but the strength of a slow, methodical plowshare to slowly cultivate, slowly forgive, slowly have mercy. He looked at Peter and said, you're going to be a good friend because you're going to learn never to take that sword out again. Malchus, come here. Let me show you strength in the kingdom. You're here to betray me. You're here to arrest me. Let me heal your ear so that when I say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, you can hear it. That's strength. Malchus, I'm going to put your ear back on because I want you to hear everything that I'm going to say when I'm hanging up there. He that has in good friends heal ears, not slice them off. Good friends tell other friends to put their sword back. Good friends know where David was right, and good friends know where David was wrong, and Jesus is right. Jesus sheds blood, but only his own. I say this to my detriment in front of everybody. I have shed spiritual, emotional blood at the preservation of my own. How do you shed emotional blood? You go to bed swallowing the one comment you wanted to make that would have ended the argument and made you feel good for five minutes but devastate the person for five years. For some of us, it's just being quiet when you want to say something. Start there. Start there. Just... Somebody insults you and you're like, that feeling you have when you don't say the thing, it's going to burst something in you. Like, yo, my kneecap just gave out because I was not saying something. Like, how did I hurt my back restraining a comment? I, you tell me. I've never restrained a comment before, so I don't know. I'm, I'm come, about to come to the altar. Like, I don't. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. We're all over this story. All of us are all over this story. We're all over this story. Maybe you're the person right now who you know it's your job to be strong for somebody in your life who's angry and bitter. Angry at you. Bitter at you. Angry at God. Bitter at God. Angry at somebody else. And you're in the middle of the situation. It might not be directly at you, but you find yourself in the middle of a situation where there's anger and bitterness. And God is calling you to say, hey, go to the high priest himself. Go to Jesus. Come to his table and get fed the energy that you need to hold the anger and the bitterness. Maybe you're around people who are entirely exhausted. And they're being called lazy by other people. Maybe you're in the middle of a marriage that's falling apart because each side is claiming that the other side's too tired to go on. And you know you're both tired because you're both traumatized. You need to help each other rest, not tell each other to do more. Maybe that is your marriage, your relationships that you're in, whatever they may be. And God is calling you to be the one who can hold the unresolve until the Holy Spirit, not you, does the work. I believe at the table, God is going to give you that strength. Bread for the journey. But maybe you're the one who's bitter and angry this morning. If that's you, if you're bitter and angry, I want you to know, I'll say the easy one first. You have a Lord and Savior who is not put off by your anger or your bitterness. He doesn't throw it back at you, and he doesn't stand over there until your anger and bitterness goes away, and then you could go to where he is. He is in the middle of your anger and your bitterness, sweating blood over it for you. 
But I also want you to know that one of the ways Jesus is there for you is this church family, and yes, I'm talking to you at home too, this church family is Christ for you. You have people here who will hold your anger and your bitterness for you, lift it with you, get in that yoke with you. Why? Because we are the body of, and his yoke is, and his burden is, so we should be helping other people's yokes be, and burdens That's not just what Jesus does for us because we're his body. It's also our mission for what we're supposed to do for others. So Salem, here, Salem, at home, let's be people this week who don't add pounds on to burdens, but help take pounds and put them on our shoulders. Let's bleed our own blood because we're helping people go the extra mile, not cause them to bleed because we're forcing them to change. Change will always come in the presence of burden-bearing love. Pastor, it sounds like you're letting everybody off the hook. I'm not. Love, not threat, wins souls. Love wins souls. Do not return evil with evil, but return evil with good, because it will be like heaping hot coals, which refine Maybe you're the one who's exhausted this morning and you're beating yourself up because you just want a dang break and you feel guilty saying I want a break because you feel like you're letting your kids down or your family down. I want to tell you, you're not wrong for saying you need a break. You're wrong if you don't take one. Well, I don't have, well, you have us and we will help. Let me tell you something. This church for me and Jacqueline has shown up so hard and so strong. We owe you all a lot. You've helped us go through one of the toughest times in our lives. In some ways, you've made it enjoyable for us to go through a hard time. And it's not the things. The way you blessed Jacqueline last week at Billy Joe's, the way that you blessed us, somebody came to our house and cleaned it. It's not that stuff. It's the fact that we know we got people who want it to. That gives life. We, I want a church of people who are willing to do that for each other. Somebody said to me at the door, Pastor, it's nothing to do stuff for you guys. You give so much. And I said, well, it's nothing to give so much because you give so much. What does Paul say? Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's be that place that spends less time in all of the debates of what's right and what's wrong, and more time saying, how can I surprise somebody who's tired? How can I surprise my wife? How can I surprise my husband? How can I surprise my friends? Not, how do I keep wagging the finger until I finally have the husband I want? Good luck. (laughs) How do I surprise somebody with love and energy and excitement when they're just down and out? You want somebody to not be bitter so you keep calling them bitter? Guess what they're going to get more of? Bitter. Bitter. But start loving on them. You're better. This isn't you. I know you. Let's get you back to being the real you. That's what people need. They need to be told. When I'm at my worst, I need to be told, yo, man, you're better than this, and I'm going to stay with you until you get back to who you really are. That, that starts the process. That's what church is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. It's just about if you got to bleed with people, bleed with them. If you got to weep with them, weep with them. If you have to rejoice with them, rejoice with them. Let's put away accusation and put on love. Let's take our cups. Every one of the main words that we pray, every church has different words that they pray all over the world, but they all come down to the, within all the different liturgies are the same words because scripture gives them to us. And it's on the night when he was betrayed, when energy was being pulled from him, justice being pulled from him, love being pulled from him. He took bread 
and he likened the bread to his body. He essentially said, this bread is really my body, and my body is energy. And so I'm going to break it and pour it out into your life. That's why Paul will say, I struggle daily with all of his energy that he mightily worketh within me. Paul doesn't say, I struggle with all my energy. Paul's like, my energy got sapped a long time ago. Timothy took all my energy. But I struggle with his energy. Where's his energy come from? His body. And how do we continually go to his body? He tells us how. Bread for the journey. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it. If you're tired, please come to the table. If you're bitter, please come to the table. If you're angry, please come to the table. If you know people who are those things and you wonder if you have the strength to help them, please come to the table. Let me feed you, church, so that you can go out into all the world. He's going to give you enough for you, and you're going to leave here with a basket filled. We, we just told you we sang more than we need, I preached more than we need, and we're about to eat more than we need. We're leaving here stuffed and with baskets filled with broken pieces of today's service. And it's for the rest of the people who are hungry out there. And after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins as often as you drink it. Drink it in remembrance of me. And so we pray right now, Father God, that you would descend on all of these little cups that you would remind us that even if we can't come to the altar to receive the bread, even if most of us are watching separated from the sanctuary, that right now, you, when we can't, you would maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray that every one of these cups and anyone that, any, that people have watching on TV, I pray it all would become one loaf right now. And we would be reminded that when one of us breaks, we're all broken. When one of us is spilled, we're all spilled. When one of us is healed, we're all healed. I pray that we would know that we matter so much to each other that our sin hurts and our righteousness heals. Not just us, but everyone around us. I pray that we would be healed as you make th these cups, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and strengthen us also that we might become energy and strength for the life of the world. That we can say to them what you say to us, I will endure with you forever. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you partake with me this morning? I want to say that because of the weather kind of beginning to deteriorate outside a little bit, I really wanted Stephanie to do this last song, but I also feel like we should move out of here. But I want everybody to know that they changed the set list today to the song Cornerstone. And, one, and within those first lyrics, it says, weak made strong in the Savior. And so the Spirit truly is talking in the words of the songs that you guys felt to sing today. And I want to pray that over you before Paul comes to do announcements. Holy Spirit, I pray that anything in us, I don't pray for weak people because we all are. I pray, Holy Spirit, that anything that is weak in us would be held strong by Christ who is our cornerstone. That we would be made strong and that we would be made strong to make the weak things in others strong, not weaker. I pray that you would send breakable people to us this week because your name is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and we are the body of Christ. And so I pray this week that people who need shelter would run into our life. 
I pray that we would recognize that maybe the people who are in our life need shelter and not rebuke, shelter and not accusation, shelter and not anger. I pray for those of us who are angry, bitter, or exhausted, that you, first and foremost, Holy Spirit, would send Jesus to us to heal. But I also pray that you would send the church to us to hold us in our time of difficulty until we're healed. In your holy name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.